Hello. So I wanted to... There, there were just like a few little itty-bitty topics I wanted to talk about here. Um, I'm going to try and keep them short. We'll see. I always say I'm going to try and keep something short, and I never keep it short. Um, and it, is, it <clears throat> really doesn't help that I'm usually working when I'm recording these, so I get distracted and, you know, stop talking or can't focus on what I'm trying to say. Um, so one of them was this um, mischaracterization of Austrian economics I see sometimes. Um, so I've seen, particularly it was in a debate, in a comment on the debate, um, somebody mischaracterized, in my opinion, I'm pretty sure this is the way Austrians uh, will explain it. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is Austrian's explanation of it. So in Austrian economics, well, the, the claim by the commenter was that Austrian economists do not believe in empirical data, which, by my understanding, is not correct. Um, that's... Uh, Um, what, what it is, okay, so it was, it was in like a discussion where they were talking about the, um, unemployment as it relates to the minimum wage. And I'm not going to get into too much detail about it, but, uh, basically there was an Austrian economist who was talking about, you know, how, you know, as the wage increases, you can expect, you know, um, there to be, uh, less employment because, you know, if the cost of anything increases, then, you know, as far as ec economic theory goes, it's a pretty standard economic theory that when the cost of in something increases, then, you know, people buy less of it. Um, so, in the case of labor, when the cost of labor increases, then you can expect people to buy less labor. Um, but, so, and then the person, there was a counterpoint that, oh, hey, there's these studies that show that there has been no effect on labor in whenever, you know, the, or, or very limited effect on labor in response to, um, minimum wage increases. Now, <clears throat> and then, and then I, and then people were commenting that, like, uh, the reason why the Austrian economists did not accept that argument is because Austrian economists do not believe in empirical data. That's, that's a gross mischar mischaracterization of Austrian e economists. Um, I've seen plenty of Austrian economists utilize empirical data in their discussions of economics. Um, but, but so, before I get on to what Austrian economists actually believe in regards to empirical data, um, hold on. Okay. Um, 
I've got to read this letter here from something. Hold on a sec. Um, what? Okay, that doesn't help. So, <clears throat> the problem with the uh, the studies that show that uh, there's limited effect on um, employment due to rising minimum wages is that those often just include the they're 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 too broad in their sample, I guess you could say. Um, they'll often include, like, um, people earning more than the minimum wage. I don't know exactly what the scope of the wages that they include in that are. Um, because it's been a long time since I've looked at this, but they'll generally include a broader scope than just the minimum wage. And they'll look at all jobs that fall into those wage, uh, into that scope of wages. So one of the problems that comes from that, obviously, is that if new jobs are created at wages higher than the minimum wage, then that's counted towards the total employment, which skews it so that it looks like not as many jobs are lost when minimum wages increase. Um, the other problem is that because it's not focusing on specific businesses, it often includes, like, if new businesses open, you know, a, a new business opens, it creates 20 jobs, but, you know, another business that had to raise their, their wages, they, you know, they, um, you know, removed... 10 jobs from the marketplace. So it'll look like, oh, hey, as a result of the minimum wage increasing, in this particular instance, 10 jobs were created. But the 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 new business opening up that created a total of 20 new jobs in the marketplace that hadn't existed before had nothing to do with the minimum wage increase. They didn't create that business because the minimum wage increased. They were just entrepreneurs that were like, you know what? I want to start a business. I'm going to start a business. I need 20 employees. Um, so, and there was a, <clears throat> there was a study. I can't remember whether it was Seattle or Portland. I think it was Portland. Um, it was done years ago. And they had considered these factors in order to, uh, they, they, they put, considered these factors when calculating job loss from minimum wages so what they did was they you know they followed i can't remember how many businesses but they had picked out a number of businesses that paid m the majority of their employees in minimum wages and they surveyed only those businesses so if a new business opened up they weren't going to say, oh, hey, look, 20 jobs were created because of the minimum wage. No, they were only surveying the businesses that that uh, paid a minimum wage 
and existed before the minimum wage was implemented and then tracked them over time to see what had happened. And they found that, yeah, when the minimum wage was implemented, among these businesses that existed before the minimum wage was implemented and that paid their employees a minimum wage, they found that the employments either dropped from those businesses or those businesses just relocated. They just left. Um, they decided to leave Portland or Seattle or whatever city it was. And what's funny is that, so this, this um, study was conducted, and I'm pretty sure that when people cite the study about um, how minimum... Well, there have been a lot of minimum wage studies over the years, but the, a lot of times, the, this is one of the most recent studies... When they're study, the, uh, one of the studies that people often cite is this Portland study that was so. When people they, they were, the study was conducted in order to try and advocate for increasing the minimum wage, and when this I, I can't remember which school it was. It was some school in California. They were the ones that did the study that followed the specific businesses and found that the businesses even either reduced employment or moved. Um, when they saw that, they were like, that was not the result we were looking for. So then they canceled that study, and then they commissioned a new study from a different school to try and prove that the minimum wage does not reduce employment. And that was the one that, or one of many studies out there, that was just like, eh, we're just going to cast a broad net that just includes like all jobs that pay a wage from the minimum wage up to like $4 more and we're not going to exclude businesses that opened up after the minimum wage was implemented or anything like that. So that's one of the flaws in a lot of those minimum wage studies. Um, and then, so now that I've gotten that out of the way, as a thing that completely unrelated to the claim that I was talking about, this is why I take so long on these goddamn episodes, even though I say I'm going to make it quick. Um, Hold on a sec. This is the other reason why it takes so long, because I gotta work. Um, so the other problem, the, the other, getting back to the original claim that Austrian economists do not believe in empirical data. That is not correct. What Austrian economists believe is they agree with the assessment by classical economists that Austrian economists differ greatly with classical economists on a lot of things, but one of the things that they agree with the classical economists on is that economics is a social science. It is not a hard science. Um, and one of the things that was happening towards the beginning of the 20th century was that a lot of economists wanted the sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess you'd say like uh, prestige that comes with being a scientist in one of the hard sciences, like physics or chemistry or, you know, whatever. Um, so they started implementing mathematical calculations into economics and um, Austrian economists were opposed to that because they thought well economics is 
a social science that studies human behavior in response to um, in response to economic signals and incentives and things like that. So because it studies human behavior, human behavior is something that is very difficult to calculate. Um, and therefore the attempt to try and quantify social human behaviors and calculate it as though economics were a hard science rather than a social science, they thought was not going to work, that it would produce results that did not accurately represent reality. Um, And this is one of the ba like foundations of Austrian economics, is that um, Austrian economics is like the foundation for it is that individuals act, and that um, that individuals that that the action of individuals forms the basis of economics and they act as individuals in pursuit of their, their goals. And, um, therefore whatever their goals may be, you know, when it comes to the, the sort of hard science attempts for economics, they're trying to calculate all these things that people will do in response to, economic forces um, and they're doing that on the basis of what they call homo economicus which is basically the formulation of the economic man a man that acts toward his economic interest at all times which we know people don't behave in a manner that they're always acting towards their best economic interests people pursue goals whether or not those goals are always to their best interest you know like people smoke that's not to their best interest but they do it and it affects you know it has an effect on the economy that people smoke um people are greedy and they do shitty things in pursuit of that greed and that you know that might cause like things that corrupt economic forces um or you know people could be very altruistic and charitable and things like that and do very good things that wouldn't make sense from an economic perspective so because austrian economics is based off of this notion that humans act as individuals in pursuit of their goals we can include all of these things in our analysis but it can't be calculated mathematically and quantified in like a hard science sort of fashion where you collect data and quantify it that's that's what the the what um austrian economics believes it's not that empirical data it doesn't that it's not that they don't believe in empirical data it's that they believe when it comes to calculating social behaviors of human beings who are fallible, they make mistakes, um, and you can't know what all their intentions are, it's very difficult. And in, in, in these models that these 
economists that are trying to make economics a hard science, in, in their models they have had to create a fabricated economic man in order to work their models. And they, you know, I, Austrians are opposed to that. So. Um, let's see. There was something else I wanted to talk about. What was it? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, okay. I remember now. Um, so I was, uh, I was talking to my brother, uh, and me and him don't really agree on a lot of economics or politics. I mean, we're, um, we're, uh, we're not, like, hostile about it. You know, we have our disagreements, and we're kind of like, oh, well, I, I, I believe differently. Well, we'll agree to disagree type thing. Um, and, you know, he, he made it one of the common claims that I hear among people that don't agree with my economic perspectives. Uh... Hold on a sec. Let me double check on something. Oh my god, I'm stupid. Uh, what information? What are you talking about? Sorry, I'm reading another letter. Uh, what? Okay. Okay, so the the thing that um I'll hear like a lot of people that I tend to disagree with say is the whole, you know, um people deserve a living wage thing. Uh and yeah, you know, it would be nice if everybody could earn a living wage. Um, or wait, is that what I wanted to talk about? Well, I'll start with that. Um, but nobody owes you a living wage because value is subjective. So, like, if what your labor produces is not valuable enough to people that they're willing to voluntarily give you enough in exchange that you can live off of, you're not entitled to more than that. Like, for example, uh, you know, if you and... If two people are stranded on an island together, one of them labors all day to catch ten fish per day, and the other one wants five of those fish, and then they both can, you know, survive. Um... So what does he do? Well, he doesn't have the skills, the survival skills of the other guy. He doesn't know how to fish or do any of that stuff. But he was a graphic designer, so he starts making drawings in the sand and building sand castles. And the guy that was catching the fish was like, well, we're stranded on an island. What good are these sand drawings and sand castles going to do me? I, I don't want any of this. It's of no valuable value to me. So why should I give you the five fish? He could do it at, you know, 
charitably, but the, the, the guy that made the sand drawings and the sand castles is not entitled to the fish. You have to provide something that the other person values. And if what you happen to provide is subjectively valuable to other people enough to where they're willing to voluntarily give you enough in exchange to where you can make a living, then great. If you can't, well, then you've got to... It, it, they're not obligated to voluntarily give you enough of their resources for you to survive. Um, and I think what I was going to... what I that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about, but I think it was it was something related to marginal product revenue that I wanted to talk about. I can't remember why I wanted to talk about it. There was some... I think it was also, again, based off of uh, the, the conversation I had with my brother. Um, hold on a sec. Gotta do this thing. I think it was just based off of the same comment. So, okay, everybody's in... People, people deserve a minimum wage. Well, um, people deserve, you know... Like I said, they're, they're, they're entitled to the subjective value of their labor to other people to the extent to which that those other people are willing to voluntarily exchange them resources for the product of their labor. Um, So, like, basically, uh, you know, like, wh why why is it that, um, I think this was actually in relation to my brother basically saying that I, I you know, and it's fine, you know, he, he's my brother, he loves me and all that, so he expects, he, he wants me to do well, so, you know, obviously I get it, you know, he's like, Oh, you you know you should be getting paid more for what you do. Okay, that's cool and all, but what if what if it's the case that the product of my labor is not worth more than what I'm getting paid? Well, then if that's the case, then there would be no reason for my employer to pay me more than the product of my wage because then they'd be literally losing money. Um and so I was going to talk about the theory that, um, oh, I'm logging the wrong thing. Give me a sec. 
So there's there's a theory in economics that I don't totally agree with because I think it it misses out on some factors, but or 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 it or it assumes that those factors are in place. So it's like a useful model for thinking about wages, but it's not it's not always totally accurate. So the theory is that the the you, that peep em, employees are typically paid close to the marginal product revenue of their labor. Now, marginal product revenue is basically a fancy way of saying for each unit of labor that, um, for each incremental unit of labor, the, uh, the revenue generated by a company is increased by some amount. And that unit of labor can only be paid as much as the revenue that w would be increased by implementing that additional unit of labor. Now, there's an economic theory that the wages of employees tends toward the marginal revenue of their labor. So, so in other words, if, if your labor produces $10 an hour worth of of product, then your wage will tend towards being $10 an hour. It might not necessarily ever reach $10 an hour because the business still needs to make profits, but it will tend towards that, that wage. And the reason why is because if your, if your labor produces $10 an hour worth of product, then other businesses that are competitors to your employer will see that your labor produces $10 an hour worth of product. And if they see that your employer is not paying, uh, say your, your employer is paying $8 an hour and you're producing $10 an hour worth of product. Well, then their competitor might say, Hey, you know, we'll pay you $9 an hour. They don't tell you that you're producing $10 an hour worth of product, but they might pay you nine and then, um, you know, and then, uh, they'll, they'll, you know, there'll be this back and forth as they, the, the businesses are competing to try and purchase your labor. Um, the problem with that, that I don't like that a lot of economists tend to do is they tend to think of the market in this sort of auction house sort of manner where people are bidding with each other. And it kind of, it, it's useful to think of it that way theoretically. Um, and it kind of does work out that way in practice simply because, okay, so, you know, if you're working at McDonald's, the KFC is not literally going to walk up to you and say, hey, guy, you're only getting paid seven fifty an hour. Well, we'll pay you 9 that doesn't literally happen. So they're not literally in like an auction house sort of bidding thing, but the jobs are posted. You as a McDonald's employee making $7.50 an hour can look at jobs available in your area and you know what your labor capabilities are. So you're going to try and maximize the revenue that you can earn from your labor so you'll look at KFC and think, hey, I can 
I can do the job at KFC. It can't be that much different from McDonald's, and I'll get paid $9 an hour. Um, or you might, like, look at some really difficult job that pays $15 an hour and go, ooh, I like the wage, but can I do it? And you might think it's worth a shot trying. I mean, you can always just fall back on the McDonald's wage, but, you know, that's the way it tends to work out in practice. Not It's not literally an auction house, which is the way that economists tend to talk about it. Um, so, the, I, I've gotten the theory out, um, and it's, it's pretty easy to understand, but for the sake of trying to put it in like a narrative form that make it make it easier to understand. Let's uh pretend that there's a a guy that opens up a restaurant. He's just always wanted to own his own restaurant. And because he just opened it, he's the only employee. And let's pretend that uh he sells $20 an hour worth of food. So he being the sole employee, is his marginal product revenue is $20 an hour. Um, therefore, he'll probably pay himself somewhere close to $20 an hour. Um, we're discount, we're, we're not counting like costs and all of that just for the sake of making things simple, but you could assume that, okay, it was actually $50 an hour worth of revenue and that, you know, $20 an hour was the remaining profits, whatever. It really doesn't matter. It's just, you know, for thinking these things through. Um, okay. So $20 an hour for the, for the labor of the one guy who opened up the business, it's his business. He does all the work and he manages to generate $20 worth of an hour of revenue. So he pays himself somewhere close to $20 an hour probably a little less because he still wants the business to be profitable and he would like to at some time in the future invest and expand. Um, and probably through some of that extra profit that he's earned at some point in the future, he might, well, I guess he doesn't actually need the profits to do this, but okay. So let's, let's say that, you know, he, um, he decides that, uh, and that, th you know, this is division of labor shit. This is, Stuff that people have known going back all the way to, to my knowledge, the oldest writing I've ever heard read on division of labor was in Plato's Republic. They clearly outlined the d division of labor in Plato's Republic. So it's not like some new economic concept. It's existed for a long time. And, I mean, we've seen people practicing the division of labor for a long time. As to whether they knew the benefits of it, the first time I've read anything that was someone specifically outlining the benefits of division of labor was in Plato's Republic. But anyway, so the, the owner decides, okay, this, I'm literally using all of my time, you know, on this. Maybe it would be ben more beneficial if I focused on certain aspects of the business and I hired somebody to do all the cooking and I just did most of the business stuff and then delivered the food to the customers. So he hires on another employee. Now there's two employees. 
between the two of them, the uh, the marginal, um, you know, so this, the the total revenue is still twenty dollars an hour. Um, but the the owner of the business, he knows, you know, that he basically the 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 business wouldn't exist without him. So he's going to consider his labor to be worth, you know, fifteen dollars an hour. Well, actually, you know what? Let's say because of the division of labor and the benefits it provides. So let's say the business's revenue increases to $40 an hour rather than the 20 that it was when it was just him working. So, but the, the business owner still is like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, this business wouldn't even exist without me. So, hey, yay, my wage goes up to $35 an hour. And then this second employee, I'm going to pay $15 an hour. And then let's say he adds a third employee and then we'll say that the wage the the revenue goes up to fifty dollars an hour the owner of the business still takes thirty five dollars an hour and uh he gives the other you know the other cook that he hired um we'll say uh still fifteen dollars an hour and then he like hired a waitress and he pays her $5 an hour because really the, the cooking, the, the, the product can exist without the waitress. The waitress is there for convenience, basically taking the food to the customers. Um, but you know, basically the, the business tries and divvies up the total revenue based on, you know, how much, they be, they perceive the product of the labor of each employee to be. Um, it's probably not a perfect explanation. I probably should have just left it to, like, instead of having each laborer have different tasks, like, oh, the owner, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of responsibilities, and then the chef, you know, he cooks, and then the waitress, she takes food out to the customers and cleans the tables... It would have been simpler if I would have just made every laborer cooking staff, but you get the idea from the narrative. Um, so I think I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say for now. I'll catch you later. And I was re-listening to that episode before publishing, and I realized all my math was wrong in my little marginal product revenue narrative. But I'm working, and you get the point, so give me a break. Anyway, catch you later.